You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce the Water Garden Wizard, Guru of Goldfish, King of Corn, Lord of Lilies, Plumbing Pro, Maven of Muck, Outside Lakes, Connoisseur of Clarity, Aquatic Aficionado, The One and Only. Hello, hello, hello. This is Ken Jones. Welcome to our podcast radio show number two, what I like to call our Pondcast, a production of the new Ornamental Water Feature Academy. I am the Prince of Ponds, and I am thrilled to be able to bring to you this show to have fun while answering your most pressing questions. Send them to me by email at ken at com. I'll answer back by email, and I may use your question on the show. Last time I introduced the topic of water feature design. We talked about some of the basic design concepts of water features like natural water gardens versus sterile fountains, natural versus formal themes, and even whimsical themes. We touched on elements such as symmetry, color, and texture. We talked mostly about aesthetic considerations. Well, today we're going to continue with our discussion about design. Let's call it design part two. I would like to cover more practical elements like location, shape, surface texture, and features. Uh, Well, you know, I can't help it. I'm going to really stir things up this time by advocating an approach that goes counter to the prevailing practices these days. And I'm going to treat you to pond features that I have provided my clients for many years, but are not widely seen. Some are really wonderful features. Some of the things we're going to talk about apply to all kinds of water features. However, I'm going to focus in on the ornamental residential pond for our discussion today. With biologically active water intended for fish and plants, known as the classic water garden. Prince of Ponds will be right back after these messages. say from experience feels like home for her enter the code lucky 10 l-u-c-k-y the number 10 and get 10 percent off any order no minimum at petco.com how would you like your business to reach out and invite in our audience we have a brand new trademark concept called info seeds info seeds are short 20 second seeds of information about your place of business Practice or service is the best, most cost-effective way to invite us in. We only have a limited number of slots left. For more information, visit the website. PetLifeRadio.com Click on Sponsorship Information. There you can listen to a sample of InfoSeed. Remember, only a limited number of opportunities are available. Aquariums and pond keeping are among the most popular of all hobbies in the United States and throughout the world. In fact, fish are probably the most numerous pet in people's homes and in their businesses. In Aquarium Mania, we'll learn more about the secret and not-so-secret life of fish and other inhabitants, the basics of good aquarium keeping, the complexities of the aquarium industry, and the science and art that surround this fascinating hobby. I'm your host, Roy Anong, and I'd like to thank you for joining us. 
Aquarian Mania. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Now our feature topic. Design Part 2. There are six objectives for good design. Pleasing aesthetics, ease of maintenance, maintaining water quality, which is mostly for the fish, maintaining water clarity, which is mostly for us, good economy of construction, and lasting value, your return on investment. You may not find other pond builders talking about return on investment, but that really is an important consideration. For many real estate owners, be they commercial landowners or homeowners, a water feature is part of the landscaping and it adds value to the property. If done well, a beautiful water feature can be a valuable asset that helps both the resale value and the resale appeal of the property. If done poorly, it will be a liability that may represent a maintenance headache or an eyesore, making resale of the property more difficult. Further, a well-built water feature will last a lifetime, providing a generous return on investment. However, if too many compromises are made in its design and construction, a water feature will not last long before presenting problems and requiring renovation. Definitely not a wise investment. What is the best location? There is no generic best location for all water features. Every landscape will have its own assets and liabilities, its own character. However, there are pros and cons to consider. In nature, water accumulates in the low spots, so it makes sense to place a pond at a low point in the landscape. If you have the options and means, you can create a low point in your landscape wherever you want it. But uh, let's consider some things. Number one, where is the primary viewing location in your landscape? Your patio or deck is most likely. This is the place where people will most commonly congregate. Perhaps it's a large picture window. It may be a picnic table or gathering area near a fire ring or a barbecue. Once you identify the spot from which most visitors will be viewing the water garden most of the time, you want to plan your water feature and surrounding landscape to display best in that direction. If your water garden is to include a stream or waterfall, then you want to make sure those features can be seen from the primary viewing area. Number two. A pond looks best with some mounding behind it. As water gathers downhill, a mound or two behind the pond will make visual sense. It also provides an area to show off plantings, perhaps a rock garden or a waterfall. Number three. Under trees or out in the open? Trees can be a blessing or a curse. Putting a pond under trees can look beautiful. The trees will cut down on sunlight reaching the water and therefore will reduce algae growth. And that's a good thing. The shade produced by trees can heighten the cooling effect of a water feature on a hot day. Trees can help to discourage predatory birds flying overhead from seeing your fish. However, trees shed leaves and can dump a lot of leaves into your pond, which you will have to remove. That can be a real nuisance. Also, most water plants, particularly the blooming varieties, flourish only in direct sunlight. Water lilies love full sun and most will not bloom in the shade. Whether or not you put your water feature under trees will depend on many things, but on balance, I would prefer to put a water garden, a pond intended to grow decorative water plants as well as house fish, 
to be located in full sun away from trees. Number four, consider also access for excavation of the pond. Can a tractor or backhoe, if needed, get into the area? Can you get electricity and tap water to the pond site? Where can you put the pond pump and filter system near the pond, but have it out of sight? What is the best size and shape? Well, that's easy. Large and simple. I don't think I've ever met a pond owner who wanted a smaller pond than what they had. They always wish they had a bigger one. So make your pond even bigger than you think you want. As big as the space in a budget allows, and then go bigger. You'll thank me later. Bigger ponds are more stable, chemically and biologically. They tend to present fewer problems to the pond owner. The most popular shape is a kidney shape or oval. It makes sense to allow the surrounding landscape to influence the shape. The shoreline should have gentle curves. Some people like a round shape with an island in the middle. Be aware that putting an island in the middle will visually shrink the size of the pond as it always hides some of the pond from view. I think islands are best suited for really large ponds. The shape of a pond may be influenced by your choice of material for making the shell. For using a liner, the simpler the shape and contours, the better. For poured concrete, a more complex shape can be done. And if you are using gunite or shotcrete, you can get very creative and utilize steep walls in almost any shape, including caves, as the material is shot into place under pressure. So what about the shape and cross-section? A water garden needs to be deep enough, but not too deep. What works out to be most practical is two to four feet deep. It is easier to maintain a pond with its plants and fish if you can walk into it. To avoid needing diving gear, that means less than four feet in depth. Deeper water has some advantages, however. Deeper water stays cooler in the summer, and cooler water contains more oxygen, which is good for the fish. And deeper, cooler water grows less algae. Koi and other fish grow larger in deeper ponds. However, more shallow water has some advantages too. It's easier to walk through for maintenance. It's easier to catch fish in shallow water. The warmer water of, of, of a more shallow pond grows decorative water plants more quickly and encourages blooming. It's easier to prune, replant, and otherwise care for your plants in a pond that is more shallow. So what are you going to do? Well, compromise. Your compromise may be different from mine, but after caring for hundreds of ponds, I have to say that I think the ideal depth is 24 to 30 inches, and deeper is better than going more shallow. The floor of a pond should be flat and gently sloping to the deepest point in the pond, where you want to have a sump. We will talk more about sumps later, but for now, a sump is a box in the floor of the pond at its deepest point. A flat, clear floor allows you to walk across the floor without slipping or tripping on obstacles. Don't put rocks on the bottom of a water garden. I know it's often done, but it's a big mistake. Any decorative asset that a rock or boulder may have the day you put it in the water will be covered up with silt and algae before long. This turns your decoration into an unidentifiable cleaning obstacle. Rocks put into groups will collect and hide debris. Debris that can be dangerous to your water quality. The floor of the pond should slope from 18 to 24 inches to a depth of 24 to 30 inches. One more point about the floor of the pond. You want a textured floor that allows you to walk across it without slipping. Uh-oh, what about liner ponds? Ponds that use liners are often too slick. They are often difficult or even dangerous to walk on when they're wet. And a pond uh, bottoms uh, generally come quite wet. 
So I prefer concrete or gunite bottoms with some texture because they are rough enough to counter the slippery nature of pond slime, allowing me to get around safely. The walls of a pond are again another compromise. Vertical walls provide the illusion of greater depth. Ponds with vertical walls look cleaner because some silted debris will be on the bottom, it's under deeper water, and so it's less visible. Vertical walls are safer when getting in and out of the pond for maintenance. When one steps into the pond, you land on the flat floor of the pond, not a slippery slope. However, vertical walls are more difficult to construct using liners or poured concrete. Sloping walls, on the other hand, are easier to accommodate with liners or poured concrete when they are created. Sloping walls mean less water volume. Sloping walls means warmer water, sometimes really warm water, along the shoreline, which is conducive to growing lots of unsightly algae. Sloping walls make it more difficult to safely step into the pond for maintenance. Sloping walls show more debris and algae, detracting from the appearance of the pond. So make your pond walls as vertical as you can, taking into account the type of shell that you choose. One more point about shape. Consider using a double bond beam along the shoreline, at least for part of the perimeter. A double bond beam means that that instead of having the wall of the shell come straight up and out of the pond, the wall makes a step up just below the water level. Putting a step some six to eight inches beneath the water level and about the same in width provides a ledge on which to place some rocks and coping. This is the rule with liner ponds, as this does much to anchor the liner. It is rather rare with existing concrete ponds, but shouldn't be. There are some great photos of this and how you can use it to improve the appearance of your shoreline on the Water Feature Academy website. Prince of Ponds will be right back after these messages. Love your pets but wish their medications were a lot less expensive? They are at 1-800-PET-MEDS. You'll not only save on flea and heartworm medications, but on prescriptions for arthritis, incontinence, thyroid, and more. And you get fast service, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Plus, our licensed pharmacists ensure accuracy, monitor drug interaction, and more. See why over 5 million people have trusted their pet's health to 1-800-PET-MEDS, America's largest pet pharmacy. Call now or order online. Go to PetMeds.com forward slash Lucky, L-U-C-K-Y, to get 10% off any order and free shipping on orders of $39 or more at PetMeds.com. Love My Pets, the new single by Mark Winter, available on iTunes. Thinking about buying a monkey? How about a ferret or a skunk? Then check out the show that will answer the burning questions, where do you get them? What do you feed them? How do you take care of them? And most of all, what were you thinking? With exotic pet expert and author Bob Tart, every week on demand from PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. What features should a water garden include? 
Ah, this is one of my favorite subjects. Why? Because this is where most ponds built today are lacking and where we can make the biggest difference towards success and ease of maintenance. Budget always plays a role in decisions about which features to include, but I urge you to put your priorities towards having a more complete system rather than just a larger one. That is, compromise on size before you compromise on features. And you know how much I love big ponds. While a couple of the following items are primarily aesthetic and provide for your greater enjoyment, most work towards providing easier maintenance and the all-important water quality and water clarity. This is a big subject. Each item listed is a topic for an entire show, or maybe two, and we will talk about each of them in detail in upcoming episodes. But for now, allow me to simply name and briefly describe many of the features that will be found in the complete water feature. Surface Skimmer A swimming pool type skimmer, and often two or more for larger ponds, should be located on the downwind side of the pond. These collect leaves and other debris before they have a chance to sink to the pond floor and provide a nice clean appearance to the surface of the pond. Autofiller This plumbing feature compensates for evaporation and splash, keeping the pond full at all times. A manual filler this is a more uh, this is a little more than a fill pipe with a valve connected to the tap water system. It is used to fill the pond quickly by hand after a filter cleaning or major draining of the pond. Overflow. The companion to the autofiller, the overflow carries away excess water that may come from sprinklers or rain, preventing flooding of the area around the pond. Sump. A cubicle box built into the floor of the pond at its greatest depth. The sump provides an accumulation point for debris and silt and, and for water when draining the pond. While helpful when doing a pond cleaning overhaul, it usually contains the filter system strainer intakes too. Everything is kept out of sight by a great cover. Return jets. Special plumbing fittings built into the wall of the pond that enhance and control circulation. Pump and filters. One or more pumps will be needed to circulate the water and power the filter system. Pumps and filters combined represent the life support system of the pond. Planter pockets. Concrete planter pockets contain soil and water plants at optimum depths below water level, eliminating unsightly pots and tubs. They make fertilizing and replanting much easier and look much more natural. Built-in underwater planters are a favorite feature that I've promoted, but I haven't seen them elsewhere. Decorative coping. Another wonderful decorative feature rarely seen. Decorative coping is made by using mortar, colored and textured, to simulate soil. It is sculpted around the perimeter to provide a, a most natural-looking shoreline. It can be added to concrete, liner, or even plastic shells. UV lighting. A most desirable option. UV lighting units have the ability to sterilize pond water to aid in disease control. However, at higher flow rates, they are effective in killing algae and maintaining water clarity. They greatly reduce the load on the filter system. Decorative lighting. Underwater lighting at night is uniquely beautiful. It's memorizing. Memorizing. <laughs> Mesmerizing. <laughs> and you will remember it. Even more so with colorful pondfish sliding in and out of the light beams. Completely aesthetic, but highly recommended. Decorative water returns. Waterfalls, streams, and fountains. 
Formal fountains look incongruous in a natural water garden, but waterfalls and streams are most appropriate. They add movement, pleasurable sound effects, and they oxygenate and cool the water. Uh, They are favorites, of course. These 12 items work together to comprise the complete, modern, and easy-to-maintain water garden. What makes the best pond shell? Oh, boy. Well, the pond shell is the waterproof barrier that contains the pond water. The shell can be made of soil sealers, petroleum-based products, or betonite, which is a processed clay product, plastic or fiberglass, a liner, PVC, rubber, or other uh, uh, material, concrete, including shotcrete, or gunite. The ideal shell is non-toxic, retains 100% of the water, is affordable, quick to install, lasts a lifetime, and is not prone to leaks. It's durable and easy to walk upon, and it can be made to look natural, like soil and rock. Well, none of these technologies offers all of these benefits at all sizes of pond. Each approach has its benefits and drawbacks, and may be a best choice at certain sizes. We will explore each of these in detail in the future, but first let me tell you a story. I want to take you back into the past and provide a look at the growth of the water garden industry. Fifty and even thirty years ago, backyard water gardens were a fringe activity. Actual pond stores were very rare. Products for ponds were few and mostly borrowed from the aquarium hobby. The primary suppliers of pond products were water lily nurseries, and sold through catalogs. Folks in industries that skirted the interest in backyard ponds like aquarium supply manufacturers, nursery suppliers, and water lily growers all saw a need for growth in products supporting pond owners, but there was an obstacle that kept new pond owners few and far between. Before a new pond owner could buy a host of pond products, he needed a pond. And no one could send him home with a pond under his arm. Ponds back then took weeks to dig and build. The prevailing technologies back then were soil sealers for the large ponds and small lakes, a mostly rural approach, or or concrete for the suburban homeowners. But these approaches would give pause to any but the most committed pond owner wannabe. Well, during the same time as technology marched on, a different industry, the wastewater management field, a solution was developed for their need to build very large containment ponds to store waste, and that was liners. Before long, liners were developed made out of plastics and rubber of varying thicknesses, and some were fiber-reinforced. These worked well because they were resistant to chemicals, more economical than concrete, quicker to install, and more resistant to damage by earthquakes. While the business leaders interested in providing products for backyard ponds saw their opportunity, They sold smaller liners to would-be pond owners. They made up pond kits. Now anyone could walk out the door with an instant pond under his arm, sure to return in a few days for more accessories and more sales. Before long, backyard ponds were marketed as quick and inexpensive. Pond stores sprouted up in every major city. Landscapers started offering water garden installations using the new liners. An entire industry exploded with new pond products fueled by the sales of the pond kit. More recently, proponents of pond liners for backyard ponds have gone from uh, describing their products as quick and inexpensive to claiming that they are the very best way to build a pond. (laughs) This industry growth has been good for the merchants, but for the consumer, not so much. 
No one selling the popular liner-based pond kits ever honestly discussed the negative aspects of using a liner for a residential pond. No one mentions the benefits of some of the options to liners. Almost no one. The truth is liners have their place in the range of techniques for building ponds, but they are not the best way to build a residential water garden. I know I'm in trouble with many in the industry when I say that, and that's okay because I have faith that in the end, logic will prevail. My position is that a liner pond is a temporary pond. It's a hobbyist-level product. It is one approach for a do-it-yourselfer, but it's not a professional product. It doesn't last, and most often, it doesn't look natural. Now consider this. The typical installation of a pond kit results in a characteristic ring of rock look that does not look natural. But it does look like every other pond built with a liner. <laughs> a lot of rock circling the perimeter of the pond to hold the liner in place uh, while trying to hide it. Even worse, most often the builder will cover the liner with loose rock across the bottom, again in an effort to make the artificial liner less obvious. All this rock collects debris and promotes anaerobic bacterial activity that is toxic and decays water quality. It also makes removing the debris on a regular basis impossible. To remove the debris requires an extremely laborious process of completely draining the pond and removing all that rock and muck by hand. A pond filled with rock is less steep and often too shallow, promoting unsightly algae growth while stunning fish growth. A pond ringed with rock does not look natural. You don't typically find ponds in nature looking like that. Who are we kidding? Liners do not last a lifetime. How is it professional for a landscaper to build walkways, walls, fences, arbors, and such, all that will live up to the expectation of a lifetime or several lifetimes of service, but the foundation of the water feature will only last 5, 10, maybe 15 years? Even some of the best liners rarely used in backyard ponds are claimed by their manufacturers to have only a 30-year life. Liner ponds are temporary. Leaks in liner ponds can be hard to find. It only takes a very small hole in a liner down in the bottom of a pond, maybe hidden by a rock, to leak water. While a new liner is tough, any sharper pointed object can cut through an aging liner, even a tree root or, or tooth belonging to an inquisitive gopher. Because it's an ordeal to securely penetrate a liner without leaks, plumbing, including intake pipes and return lines, are often laid on top of the liner, inside the pond, and in sight. Underwater lights, too, are placed on top of the liner with their cords draped across the liner bottom. This is an unsightly mess that adds to the unattractive look of a phony plastic pond. There are ways to mitigate some of these problems, which we'll describe later. And to be sure, a liner pond can be a quick and relatively inexpensive way to try out a water garden in the backyard. But it is definitely not the best way to build a pond. For residential and smaller commercial water features, I have found concrete and gunite to be best. A gunite shell is my favorite because it is shot in, in under great pressure and it can be placed almost anywhere with a minimum of forms required. It is fast. It is super durable. It is the standard of the swimming pool industry, at least here in the west coast of the United States. There are these and other good reasons for it to be the swimming pool construction method of choice by this large, mature, successful industry. Put simply, ponds should be built more like swimming pools. However, while a pond that measures 15 feet by 30 feet would be cost-effective when done in gunite, a smaller 6 by 10 foot pond would not. 
it is more cost-efficient to use concrete to build smaller ponds. To place gunite requires a crew of several men and large trucks. Concrete, on the other hand, requires fewer men and less cost. In both cases, concrete or gunite, the resulting shell, when properly reinforced with steel, will last a lifetime and longer. Light fixtures and plumbing can all be hidden, penetrating the shell where need be. Some plumbing fixtures, such as fillers, skimmers, and overflows, can be hidden in the walls. A concrete and gunite shell allows for steep or vertical pond walls and for a sump in the bottom of the pond. When the concrete or gunite shell is finished with a masonry sealant, the resulting texture is desirable for walking on during maintenance. Such reinforced shells will resist tree roots, rodents, accidents, and earthquakes. Ledges to support boulders and underwater planters are easily incorporated into the walls of the construction. In upcoming episodes, we will go into detail about each of the other available shell-producing methods. Soil sealers, particularly bentonite, preformed plastic and fiberglass shells, and liners. Each has their place in the world of pond building. We have talked about return on investment that depends on quality that provides ease of maintenance and longevity of the water feature. Talked about location. A low spot with mounds behind, under trees, or in full sun. Preferred shape and size. Simple shapes with curving shorelines and bigger is better. Flat pond floors, steeply sloping sides, 24 to 30 inch water depth, a double bond beam perimeter. Twelve features of the complete water garden. Surface skimmer, autofiller, manual filler, overflow, sump, return jets, pump and filters, underwater planter pockets, decorative coping, UV lighting, decorative underwater lighting, and decorative water returns such as waterfalls or streams. Four basic technologies for creating your pond shell. Soil sealers such as bentonite, preformed plastic and fiberglass shells, liners, and then the concrete shells, concrete and gunite. The history of pond kits and using backyard pond liners. Are new pond owners being misled for the sake of expediency and profit? Some of the big reasons why concrete is better. I hope this has been helpful and thought-provoking. If you are a member of the pond liner industry and you take issue with some of the things I've said, I invite you to join me on the show and share your side of the story. We will go more into this discussion in our next podcast and in others to come. Now I want to tell you about the brand new Ornamental Water Feature Academy. For the first time, there is going to be one place where pond owners and pond owners-to-be and professionals in related fields such as landscape architects, swimming pool contractors, property managers, and pond store retailers, and many more, can come to learn and share best practices in the building and maintenance of water features. The heart of the Ornamental Water Feature Academy is its website, where you can see hundreds of gorgeous, high-quality photographs of before and afters and successful features and step-by-step how-tos. You can network with others with similar interests on the forums and learn from the experience of others. Full-length articles delve into every topic in detail. You can hear interviews with industry leaders and maybe best of all, a library of 40 and growing professional videos are being developed and offered as a part of membership at the site. Now, the Academy is not open to the public yet, as it is still in production. But as my special guest of the Prince of Ponds podcast, you are invited to take a peek now. Just go to princeofponds.com 
and you will be able to preview some of the articles and learn more about the Academy. While there, visit the membership page and enter your name and email to get on our priority list. Doing so will entitle you to big savings should you choose to become a member when the Academy opens. In any case, we will notify you the day it opens so that you are among the first. And why not? It's free to reserve your ginormous discount and your place in the front of the line. I'll see you there. Now tell your friends and family about the new Prince of Pawns podcast. Invite them to tune in. And I would so much appreciate you leaving a review comment on iTunes and voting for the show. This is a brand new show, you know, so we could use the boost. You can reach me by email at ken at princeofpawns.com. That's P-R-I-N-C-E-O-F-P-O-N-D-S dot com. Send me suggestions and questions. I would love to hear from you, and I may answer your question on the show. Until next time, splash me. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.